voice hearings, voice 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 hearings, voice 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 this is Hearing Voices, conversations with the voices that bring the excitement of college sports alive. Now, here's your host, the voice of your fighting Tigers, Chris Blair. Welcome back in, everybody. Another week of Hearing Voices. That's right. We got a little uh, kind of bowl edition before we head into what uh, we consider a Christmas break, and then we'll be back at the uh, beginning of the year. But it is bowl season, and uh, there are plenty of SEC teams in the bowl, so we thought, why not have one of the most researched analysts in college football? For my money, the best analyst in college football. You know him from the ESPN family of networks, obviously the SEC network. You can hear him every day in Birmingham on jocks uh, with Greg McElroy, Kubelik, uh, and, and McElroy there. Uh, it's Cole Kubelik. And uh, Cole, thanks for joining us, man. It is a busy time of year. I know for you, you're going from bowl games to doing your radio show to all the things that you do. So thanks for uh, taking just a couple of minutes to join us. Oh, no problem. Glad to be with you and uh, Merry Christmas. It's, uh, you know, you always think about once the game slow down a little bit, that life is going to slow down. And then when you have three children under eight, uh, Christmas just picks it right back up. Yeah, I'd imagine that's a pretty busy Christmas holiday season for the uh, Kubelik family. You know, I, I kind of wanted to, to pick your brain because, as I said, I, I'm a big fan of your work. Um, I think you are one of the more researched color analysts on television, certainly when it comes to the SEC, obviously playing at Auburn. And I thought we'd go quickly here, uh, Cole, kind of uh, kind of an, you know, buy and sell. Because to me, even though the bowl season has changed maybe a little bit uh, outside of the college football playoff as far as teams changing, uh, looking different than they did in the regular season, which is a whole nother issue. Um, you try to build some momentum. I think that's still true for programs when you get the opportunity to practice uh, the month of December, uh, play in a game, and then kind of leapfrog into spring football. So I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. And obviously it starts with Florida. They were the first SEC team to play in a bowl game. Did not go so well against Oregon State, losing 30-3. to And, you know, I, I, I... caught the comment from uh, Mr. Feinbaum on your all show that he thought of all the SEC programs, the biggest disaster of 2022 were the Florida Gators. I think that surprised a few people because I think they immediately went to Texas A&M. But your thoughts on, on Florida and where they go from here. And, and did you agree with Paul that they were the biggest disaster in 2022? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say the biggest disaster. They they were a little disappointing. And I think part of that may be unfair because of what happened week one. You go beat a Utah team who I picked to go to the playoff in the preseason. And all of a sudden, I think the expectations just, you know, ramped out of the building. And and then obviously it didn't really play out the way that they wanted to. Some injuries at, at quarterback, um, starter being banged up, and then backup quarterback changed how they managed their offense a little bit. But I don't think that roster was where a lot of people thought it was or wanted it to be or definitely where it needed to be. And, and that was a problem. It's a problem from a depth perspective, from, from a playmaking perspective on both sides of the football. So um, I, I do feel like that there were some letdown games and performances, but I still believe in Billy long term and the way that he's going to build a program. You know, a, a, a term that's been very popular there in Baton Rouge, culture, I know is one that's very important to Billy as well. He's going to build that from the ground up. It's going to take some time, 
And, you know, he's got to get more talent. He's got to get guys that fit his scheme a little bit more. Tight end, I think, is an important position for him. And you had four walk out, and one had to retire due to injury before he even takes the job. So um, they'll get guys that suit what they want to do a little bit better. And and I think that long-term, I'm still fine with him, and I think he'll build it in, in a solid way. But this season absolutely was a bit of a disappointment, and I think it made it a little more difficult on that staff and those players after what happened week one because of the expectations for Utah. Coming up on December 23rd, SEC will be back in action. It'll be SEC, ACC in the Gasparilla Bowl, Wake Forest, and Missouri. You know, it seemed odd to me, Cole, early season, mid-season, there was suddenly Eli Drinkwitz is on the hot seat. And and to me, it seems like he got there yesterday. I know that's not entirely true. Um, but when you look at Missouri, can they springboard? Are they taking optimism? Does it hinge on how they perform against Wake Forest, how they kind of move into 2023? Yeah, I, I, you know, there were parts of this team that really got you excited. When you put the film on, that defensive line was just nasty. They gave people problems week in and week out. Uh, I thought Blake Baker did a really nice job with that defense this year. There were more multiple, more high pressure, but the defensive line disrupted, and that's what allowed all that to happen. Um, they didn't get consistency from the quarterback position until later in the year. That's a big reason they were able to get Arkansas and get bowl eligible. But Brady Cook was was a guy that was battling for that job in the spring and then through fall camp, and then he gets it. And you know, he, I think he learned how to protect the football a little bit better as the season went on, learned how to break people down with his legs. Uh, the offensive line underperformed a little bit, but with the way that Eli's been recruiting, I, I, it, I was with you. I was just shocked that anybody would even say he's on the hot seat or they're thinking about going a different direction because – you know, he, he did do some things that were really nice. And then you got a nice core group of skill that's coming back. Uh, I think the defense has a still a core that's coming back. But in this particular game, it's going to be tough. You've got two defensive ends out. Martez Manuel's out gonna, on the back end. So some of those guys that disrupted up front against an offense that runs, if you hadn't seen Wake Forest, it's a very slow developing RPO system. That quarterback will put the ball in the belly of the back. And he'll, I call it the walk the dog RPO. He'll literally just walk that thing down flat towards the center and they'll wait, 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 wait. And then he'll pull it out and make a decision. Sam Hartman's been great his entire career. So they've got their work cut out for him in that game. I think Missouri will be able to move the ball, but defensively, they got to find a way to get some stops. And with one of your captains gone to the back end and two of your mainstay players up front gone, that will be a very difficult task for them to get that win against a very high powered offense. The other team, as Cole Kubelik joins us this week on Hearing Voices and Nobody Knows, the SEC and all of their teams like Cole does, Arkansas. Um, and, and again, they come off a nine-win season, and everybody loves Coach Pittman. How can you not? Everybody, uh, again, outside of each particular school, kind of rooting for Pittman. Uh, a lot of expectation coming into the year. They finished six and six. Now they were, they were, you know, they were hit by the injury bug at, at different times, and obviously everything was built around KJ Jefferson. And when he wasn't one hundred percent and he wasn't in there, that that's a big loss. But um, now you you see Barry Odom, who everybody thinks the world of when it comes to defensive coordinators, going to go run his own shop again. So he leaves. How big is the game against Kansas? And and where do you see Arkansas coming off this season? going into next year again knowing that the expectations for 2022 were high they didn't meet them but I still think they still have a lot of faith in coach Pittman sure I I think first off if you looked at Arkansas schedule before the season you had a hard time saying oh that's eight nine wins and you threw a BYU team uh, that I thought was going to be one of the better group of five teams in college football this year I thought they could have made a lot more noise than they did right in the middle of that schedule on the road 
And it just looked almost impossible. I actually think getting to, to be bowl eligible against that schedule has been pretty good. You mentioned Jefferson sort of in and out, a little banged up in the middle of the season. Yeah, Jalen Catalan in the secondary. He's now in the portal, but he gets hurt early on. So that was sort of your mainstay safety that just locked everything down on the back end. He's out. And you were going to have to rely on a lot of transfer guys, defensive line, corner safety. And sometimes that hits and sometimes it doesn't. You don't know exactly what you're going to get, more so from a continuity standpoint and, and a togetherness standpoint, because that's that's the part I think that – with the portal is so difficult to manage that you just don't know exactly how guys are going to gel and then play team ball on either side or just all together. But, you know, this game against Kansas is a little frightening for me because, you know, this is a team hadn't won a bowl game in a long time. Um, around mid season, it looked like it was going to be a historical year. They had some injuries. It didn't finish up the way that it started, but now they get to go against an sec team who's going to be out their best defensive player, another linebacker, a receiver. You got a tight end that hit the portal that was very important. Trey Knox was big to what they did offensively. I was really shocked that he hit the portal because I thought Kendall Browse did a really nice job of getting him involved and, and making him a part of that offense, even though physically he didn't have a real fit the last couple of years, but they made him a piece. So good news, you still have K.J. Jefferson. And you still have Rocket Sanders. And Ricky Stromberg, the center, is not going to go either. That offensive line's played pretty good ball this year. But, um, you know, Cody does a good job with that offensive line. They run inside zone as well as anybody in the country. They'll live and die on that. They'll RPO off of it. They'll get some play action stuff. They'll use a perimeter. So I, it's going to take, a, 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 I think, a very valiant team effort for Arkansas to get this game because I, I feel like the motivation side probably lies with Kansas. And the accomplishment side of what it's going to mean to him probably lies there. But, you know, Barry Odom being gone, I love to hire Travis Williams, a former Auburn linebacker that's been at UCF to be the new DC. But you, know, you got to manage it through this game with some of the guys that are a little bit left over. So it's going to be a tall order for Arkansas to get that game, in my opinion. Again, great to have Cole Kubelik on the show with us this week on Hearing Voices, taking a look at you know some of the SEC teams going into bowl games. Uh, the one of the bowl games, Cole, that kind of stands out to me that I'm certainly interested in watching, it's going to be the, this year's Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, South Carolina. Again, I think uh, superseded possibly expectations this year. Eight and four, they finished five and four in the league. A couple of really big signature wins, including. Uh, the the out-of-conference but huge rivalry game against Clemson at the end of the year. They take on Notre Dame, a team that I think people felt were going to be at the top, and they were for a good period of time. They finish up at 8-4. and four. How big a game is this, or is, is that putting too much pressure on South Carolina? I mean, how big is this for the Gamecocks on this stage going into next year? I don't, I don't know how big it is because I think South Carolina's already exceeded expectations. I mean, people were saying, oh, if they get four or five, that'll be a good year. I, I thought they were going to be a little better than a lot of folks did, but getting to eight, nobody, nobody really saw that coming. Um, you get a win against a highly ranked Tennessee team, a win against your rival Clemson that nobody thought you could really even compete with based on the talent that was going to be on the field. But I don't know anything to tell you about this game. Because, I mean, this is almost the everybody's going to be gone. What are we going to get game? I mean, Marcus Satterfield, the OC, is gone for South Carolina. Both your tight ends are gone. Jaheim Bell was a Swiss Army knife. He lined up at tailback, fullback, H, inline tight end, slot, did a lot for him, a dynamic player. Austin Stonger, the tight end, he's going back to Oklahoma. Um, 
And then you have Michael Mayer, the, the, the all-world tight end for Notre Dame, is not going to play. Isaiah Foskey, the defensive end, is going to get drafted early. He's not going to play. I guess you're going with Tyler Buckner, quarterback. Don't know exactly how that plays out for Notre Dame. So it is a – I mean, it's going to be a hodgepodge of new faces for both teams. So I don't really know what we're going to get. And I think because of all of that, um, it doesn't make it massive. Shane's already gone past what most people thought he could do this year. But if he got it, even if it's a, a Notre Dame team that loses another guy or two by the time they play against that helmet, you get a win in a bowl game, it doesn't matter who's in, who's out, what it is. You beat Notre Dame in a bowl, that's a big win for South Carolina in that program. And I feel like Shane's the kind of guy that can just get these kids motivated for that game. He can take some of the extras, the leftovers. Uh, from what I hear, Juice Wells is going to play. That'll be big for South Carolina. Spencer Rattler is going to play. You know, he said, or I saw him yesterday at a press conference, he wants to go out and finish when he started with uh, with Coach Beamer. So I kind of feel like the momentum's riding with South Carolina here a little bit. It's it's not going to be something where they have to play perfect ball, uh, but if that defensive line stands up to a pretty physical Notre Dame offensive line, I think the Gamecocks got a good chance to pull that one out. I think that's a good point. I lived 10 years in the Palmetto State, and I know all of my Gamecock buddies, that's all they've talked about, is for playing Notre Dame. And you're right, regardless of who lines up and who plays, if they get that win over Notre Dame, uh, that program, yep. Coach Beamer, and certainly that fan base will uh, put that as a feather in their cap. A couple of more teams that I wanted to get your thoughts on, Cole. It starts with Tennessee and then Alabama. Again, they're outside the college football playoffs. Certainly down the stretch, there were opportunities, but some missteps by both teams when it comes to losses that, that kept him on the outside looking in. Starting with Tennessee, uh, without Hendon Hooker, who I thought was you know arguably the most dynamic uh, offensive player in the country while he was healthy. Now you've got who's going to play for Tennessee. Again, they're taking on Clemson. Uh, and for Alabama, I, I, I just get the sense there's too many people, and maybe it's just wishful thinking, Cole, that, uh-oh, Alabama has slipped. Uh, they didn't make the playoff this year. Is the dynasty over? I, I know you're very, very close to, to Alabama, uh, the Auburn-Alabama rivalry. Is that a little too premature when you're talking about Alabama and Nick Saban's dynasty being over? Well, go look at the recruiting rankings right now. And if you're wondering if the dynasty's over, I believe uh, via most services, they're number one. So uh, not dead yet. And this is still the Sugar Bowl, right? I mean, this is still a big game. It's a massive bowl. So the fact that Will Anderson and Bryce Young are going to play, even if it's somewhat limited, even if it's a game plan that protects them to a certain extent, I still think it says a lot that they're going to be in uniform and be out there. They want to finish this with their brothers. Um, but having said that, this is a very physical Kansas State football team and one that I don't think from a trenches standpoint is going to back down or be intimidated by Alabama. Alabama's just not that dominant up front this year anyway. Now, off the edges they are, but Kansas State's not going to drop back 40 times and allow Dallas Turner and Will Anderson to just tee off against them. Uh, Byron Young's played better down the stretch, but they're just they're not, they haven't played bully ball in the middle of that defensive line. So I think Kansas State could work some things out. I think Henry Toa Toa will be massive for Alabama in this game because you're going to get some funky looks. You're going to get H-backs, fullbacks. They're going to shift them around, move them around a little bit. You get some quarterback runs, some read plays. You'll have overloads where uh, one tackle will come over to the other side of the line of scrimmage. So they've got to be lined up correctly, and Toa Toa handles all of that. Now, from a speed and athleticism perspective, Alabama should have the advantage. I don't think K-State – uh, is going to be able to outrun them sideline to sideline, even with a running back that can hurt you on the perimeter. 
but on the other side of the ball, an Alabama offensive line that loses one of their, you know, they lost two starters to the portal. And that's a group that didn't play great football anyway this year. So I would look for extra tight ends in the game. Kim Latu is going to be a big part of this game plan because he'll probably have to help the protection and in the run game. Robbie Utes, uh, another kind of H-back, fullback type guy. I bet he'll play a lot just to help protect things, short things up up front. But it's it's not one of these games that Alabama can show up and just sleepwalk through and win. Uh, with When the quarterback change happened with Kansas State around the middle of the year, they became more capable down the field. And now you give a guy an extra two, three weeks to prepare to be able to come even more capable with what they can do through the air and be more balanced. So it is a, um, it's going to be a physical task for Alabama to get it. Now they're a more talented team, um, you know, should be able to go find a way to do it. They turn it over and they try to sleepwalk. They're not going to beat that football team. Uh, from a Tennessee perspective, you have the majority of your offensive line still intact. That's good. Cause that group played really good football this year. Jabari small be back at tailback. Yes, Jalen Hyatt's gone. Cedric Tillman not going to be there at receiver. But Joe Milton at least has played a lot. You know, He was the original starter last year, starting the season off. And then uh, Hendon Hooker came in and sort of took over. Defensively is where I'd be a little bit concerned because uh, Cade Klubnick looked pretty good in the ACC championship game. You've got Will Shipley in the backfield. Uh, that's where Tennessee's got to find a, a way to disrupt, uh, throw off the timing and the rhythm, affect the young quarterback, get to him and – they have some individual defensive linemen that have played good ball this year, but that group has to have a big game because the secondary was beat up down the stretch. They don't have great numbers there, no matter what, even when they're healthy. So I think Tennessee's defensive line, if they have a big game, I think the Vols can find a way to knock off Clemson in the Orange Bowl. But if that group is not doing some work and doing some of the heavy lifting, then it could be a long night for the Vols. A couple of more minutes as we wrap up with Cole Kubelik. Nice enough to join us this week on Hearing Voices. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on LSU. And, and, and again, uh, they'll, they'll run me out of town if I don't talk about LSU here, Cole. Um, and, and the job that Brian Kelly did in year number one. I think overall the assessment has been, for the most part, LSU has survived the mass exodus for the transfer portal. Now, there's some key players who have already decided to opt out uh, to get ready for the NFL draft. So it will be a different-looking LSU team on January 2nd taking on Purdue, which will look radically different. Um, but more so than this matchup, uh, what do you think Brian Kelly did right this year that sets LSU to improve going into next season? Yeah, no Aiden O'Connell, no Charlie Jones for Purdue. So it's um, that's it'll be a very different Purdue team that you get in that bowl game. I feel pretty good about LSU getting that one. Uh, what I loved about what Coach Kelly did this year is there wasn't a whole lot of, hey, this is what we run, so you got to go figure it out. And I think that was Coach Denbrock on offense and Coach House on offense. I mean, look at how Harold Perkins morphed into a different role as the season went on. Um, you know, I think you, know, you look at how that defensive line played. It wasn't a group inside that I think people came in feeling they'd be dominant this year, and then they end up being that. Uh, so I think – yeah, they found ways to – because there are a lot of people after four or five weeks that said, oh, LSU, they're so much better. They're so much better. And I kind of stepped back and said, I, it's not that they're not better, but to me it was more of finding the right pieces of the puzzle to put in the right places and then allowing them to develop a little bit, and then all of a sudden things really started to click. So, you know, you were pretty young early. You played two freshman tackles at one time, which I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, it's just – and along with a freshman tight end and a quarterback who you had to kind of figure it out. You know, it's like you got into that first game, you try to do it a certain way. 
You figured out that he operated a little bit better when you went fast. So you began to do more of that. Then you began to figure out that the RPO stuff could probably help him. You knew how dangerous his legs were. So you gave him quicker reads, less reads, and just said, hey, get one, two, and then go. Or take one and then go and then run and show us how your legs can operate and how dangerous you can be there. The downhill run game, once the offensive line started to get a little continuity and started to figure out who those five were going to be, that became a little bit more dangerous. And that became, sweetheart, I can't hear you with this in my ear, but it's okay. Okay. Sorry, we had to get a little, little secret there. No, uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but once, once that O-line got multiple games under their belts together, then you saw them to come around. Then you saw Mason Taylor become a little more physical and have a better understanding of what it was going to be like to play in the SEC. And that group of receivers was just flat underrated going into the year. I mean, we all knew how good the X receiver was going to be, but I don't think people understood how all the guys around him were going to be able to help out. And it was just figuring out who was best at what and who was most comfortable at what and then repping that, and then they got a little bit better once they began to figure those things out. Yeah, I think one of the biggest keys, Cole, was that Kayshawn Booty showing the maturity of, hey, you know what? If these other guys at the receiver position start getting some passes, it's going to take some of the pressure off me. It's going to take some of the focus off me. And everybody is going to be able to get the passes yes. that they want. And I think that's the groove they were able to get into, especially in that four-game win streak, uh, that four difficult games there in November. Last thing I got for you, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention – we're recording today, and Mississippi State is holding a public memorial there uh, at the Hump uh, Humphrey Pavilion for the, just a legend, Mike Leach. And I know one of the great things that you get the opportunity to do when you go in and do a game, you get to spend some one-on-one time, or you and the, and the broadcast team, with the coaches. I can't imagine there's ever been a more interesting or uh, a fun visit than than sitting down uh, and exploring the mind and thoughts of, of Mike Leach. It's a, it's a big loss for college football, for sports in general, and certainly the SEC. He, um, he was as unique as you're going to find in this profession. And I think for a lot of different reasons, it wasn't just the quirky or wacky things that he said, but it was how he said some things. There, there didn't seem to be a lot of concern of what other people thought about it or if it was going to you know, come back and bite him or if it was going to hurt his players' feelings. He just – he was what he was. And, and that's what he presented to you, and that's what he offered up. Um, the thing that I liked about Coach Leach the most was he challenged me to be better at my job because lazy questions were not going to work with him. They just weren't. Um, and, you know, he made you kind of go the extra mile. He was going to walk fast in at halftime. You were going to have to walk with him and try to get a question in. Um, so he was going to be a bit of a headache there. If you asked him football questions, he probably wasn't going to give you the best answers. But he made you phrase your questions in a little bit of a different way, made you think, at least for me, made me think very hard about how I asked things and what things I asked about. Um, But when you got a chance to just sit and talk to him about random stuff, it was always entertaining. And he was always nice and kind to us. And then you take the football into it, and you know he's got the most wins all time at Texas Tech, most wins in a single season at Washington State. You know, took multiple programs from difficult situations and made put them back on the map. Uh, the other coaches that he's touched, we've gone through the laundry list of those guys over and over again, and just how incredible how incredible that is. He um, he is a, a college football legend, an icon, and deserves to be in the College Football Hall of Fame, and, and does not deserve to be forgotten. So I'm appreciative of everything he did to help me. 
And um, I know we're all going to miss him. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about it. We wish Mississippi State the very best against Illinois coming up on January 2nd as well and, and Zach Arnett and company. All right, Cole, i got to get you out of here. I do appreciate your time to, to join us during this busy time of year. Real quick, anybody beat Georgia? Is Georgia going to hoist that trophy again uh, come mid-January? Yeah, I think if I had to pick it, I'd probably take Georgia. I, I do think this Ohio State offense is very dangerous, and I do think Michigan is a little more – physically capable of matching up with Georgia this time around if they were to face off again. So might be a little more difficult for them to get it this year, but they're they're obviously the favorite for a reason. All right, Cole. Well, again, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and uh, look forward to seeing you down the line. Thanks again for joining us. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for having me. Cole Kubelik, everybody. Again, you can check him out. Yeah, you can stream it. Uh, he and McElroy every morning, uh, I believe 7 to 10 Central Time on the Jocks in Birmingham. And, of course, you'll see him all the time on the SEC Network and, and uh, on the ESPN family of networks. Got a couple of bowls he's going to be working this holiday season as well. That's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Again, uh, thanks for joining us all through 2022. We're going to take a couple of weeks off, then get back into that groove schedule once uh, LSU basketball begins that SEC gauntlet, and uh, we'll bring you some of the voices and get you updates on who the Tigers will be playing in SEC action. So we wish you and yours a very safe holiday season. Looking forward to starting off 2023 with a bang. Thanks to Harrison, uh, thanks to you, thanks to Cole, and until we meet again, this is Chris Blair, still hearing voices.